What's up? I hope hey. you all like that cool little intro we just put together. Welcome to the Great Debate. First ever round table session. Similar to what we normally do, but not two, not three, not five, but ten Jews and Palestinians. Let's let's see what happens. You know, it's this is this is new for us all. It's gonna be an experiment. Uh few little reminders. First of all, if this is your first time here, subscribe. We do this every week. Not always this, but always awesome conversations. If you really like what we do, we have a Patreon that we just opened. Support us. It helps us make more awesome content. Sorry, there's a cockroach that just ran past me, distracted me. Hey, friend. The door's that way. Um, and at the end of this, as always, we're going to do an after party in Discord. For those unfamiliar with Discord, I won't tell you more about it. Click the link and find out. It's awesome. It's it's kind of like a voice chat like this, but more interactive. Everyone can join and contribute their thoughts and ideas. I will be stepping down as the moderator. This conversation will not have a moderator. So these are my last words moderating. And without further ado, our awesome guests will go around in a little circle and everyone will give a, a quick introduction and then we'll just get to chatting. Uh, take it like to the right of me. So uh, Faraj, all you man. So hey, how's it going, guys? Um, this is my uh, third time being hosted by Adar. I am a grad student at Brooklyn College in childhood education, bilingual education, and I am looking forward to having uh, some conversations over here. Hi, my name is Danny. I'm from Israel, originally from LA. Uh, I have my MA and my BA in International Relations and Middle Eastern uh, History and Political Science. My first time on this live debate, and I'm really excited just to see what happens. Hey guys, so it's uh, Iyad from Jerusalem, raised up in Hebron, and I live in London at the moment. Um, I'm a computer scientist. Um, that's what I learned, but that's not what I do. Um, and I just run a small startup. So I'm Rebecca. I am based in the New York City area. I study biology and computer science. Right now, I'm doing a lot of freelance writing. I also um, am very active on social media, where I maintain an Israel-Palestine peace forum on Quora.com, now it is growing into other platforms. It has almost a million views, and you can check it out. It's called Unity is Strength. And hi, I'm Jason. I uh, This is my third appearance on Adar's channel. Um, I'm uh, 
born in New York, uh, but raised in Perth, Australia, which is where I currently am, um, and of uh, Palestinian Christian heritage. Um, and uh, I run my own uh, renewable energy company, uh, selling solar energy systems to residential and commercial properties here. And I'm also very passionate about um, embracing dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians to learn each other's narratives and to build a strong narrative of reconciliation. All right, uh, I'm Tom Thomas Resnick. This is my first time on The Great Debate. Um, I'm, I would say, I would describe myself as a writer, a Jew booker, and uh, I'm the founder of a group called Jews Against War with Iran, which unfortunately right now only exists on social media, but we are trying to get some in-person stuff off the ground as well. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to be here. Hi guys, my name's uh, Yoshua or Joshua, originally from Denver, Colorado. I'm an Israeli now. I'm living in Jerusalem now with Israel for nine years. Uh, I served as a combat engineer with the Israeli Defense Force. I'm a veteran of Operation Protective Edge. I used to, used to work in the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem, uh, serving as a guard guarding Jewish homes in the, there. And I also studied for two years to, towards a degree in Islam and Middle Eastern Studies at Hebrew University, and I currently run a, a marketing firm. Hey guys, my name's Tarek. I'm an Australian Palestinian and yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a business here in Australia, not very exciting with, with Corona and stuff. And I split my time between Melbourne and Jerusalem and to a lesser extent, Hebron. Awesome. Now what? <laughs> okay. So wait, I'm going to introduce myself. So basically I'd like to ask the first question if I may on a note that Jason said about uh, his passion for learning different narratives. Um, so I think that we can all agree the difference in our narratives in the Jewish and Palestinian narrative is the one of the biggest barriers for any path of reconciliation. And I think an interesting topic to talk about would be how Palestinian and Jews view Hamas as a democratically elected uh, government to feel a type of way about Hamas and the Palestinian uh, civilians who voted for Hamas. And I'm sure um, on the Palestinian end, it makes you feel other types of ways. So if anyone would like to answer that question. Well, <clears throat> I can say that like the, what comes out of a place sort of uh, is reflective of the unique challenges that society that society has sort of uh, had to face um, and which is reflected as to what people what what um, uh, we have now with the uh, people electing Hamas um, in that way so I think it's that that is very represented re representative of people in Gaza since they were the only people that voted, myself in the diaspora, uh, also Faraj and, and Tariq, wouldn't have voted for them. I, I'll let them speak for themselves, but I'm certainly um, I'm not a uh, supporter of um, Hamas um, in regards to uh, their militant uh, struggle or guerrilla warfare tactics, and that should be uh, condemned. Um, uh, and I certainly don't feel uh, they reflect uh, many of our values, only that certain segment uh, that is 
living within Gaza and a few people that sort of sympathize with them. What values do they symbolize that Palestinians resonate with? In your opinion or from someone you know personally? Sorry, could you repeat that again? I think I didn't catch. In the meantime, I'm going to Muhammad. Muhammad from our audience gives an interesting explanation. The formula is simple. They got elected by all other votes split due to many nominee while they had one each sector. Now, why they why they elected That's them? That's very they, true in the West Bank. That's very true in the West Bank. The Palestinian Authority is very divided during the election. While Hamas had run one candidate, I'm pretty sure, per locality. And so it's a, it's a complex situation. They, Hamas did win the election, but it's not as clear cut as people think. And I'm sorry for jumping in, by the way. Sorry, I, I know. So I can, I can let him answer. But, but, uh, I've, just, I've heard it's also, I've heard it's also in relation to, I've heard from people that it's that Fatah was, it's not, I mean, the element of anti-Israel and, and Jews and all does play into it, but a major component was the corruption in the PLO that pushed a lot of people towards the Hamas. Hamas is, Hamas is known for its charity. So put it this way, um, Hamas now is not Hamas before the election. Hamas was known, people from Hamas were never associated with corruption at all. While I'm not going to say that the Palestinian Authority was, but everyone knows the reputation of the Palestinian Authority. Everyone knows this. And so if Hamas is known as a religious organization, religious people, I know maybe Jews don't feel this. I don't know how it is in the Jewish community, in the Palestinian community. Religious people are people you can leave money with. Religious people are people that you can go to for advice. And that's what Hamas was. While the Palestinian Authority came from outside, you know, many of them were refugees from outside the country who had returned. Many of the people of Hamas were refugees inside Gaza, inside the West Bank. They could, they understood the occupation. They understood many of the issues which Palestinians on the ground faced. While unfortunately, Fatah, a lot of them were from outside as well. So Hamas was a much more organic, became an organic movement in a lot of ways. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of people who voted with them, um, let me know if I'm speaking too fast, by the way. A lot of the people that voted for Hamas, to be honest, it was just a protest vote or a one-time thing. As in, there's a two-party system. One party was in charge from like 96, I think, or not, off the top of my head, 94. Hamas was the complete opposite of them. So, yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that, like, like going back to Hamas, it's, that it's important to realize that, like, Hamas didn't happen in a vacuum. It kind of happened. It kind of, like, rose into prominence and, like, sort of, like, political like Islamism became a like contentious movement when like a lot of Arab countries basically got disillusioned with with uh, Arab nationalism. And so like to answer Danny's question of like, what does Hamas, what kind of principles does Hamas represent to the everyday Palestinian? To be fair, it's revolutionary struggle, very similar to anti-colonial um, movements in the past, whether it's in Cuba, or in like South America and uh, so forth. So that's what they, that, that's how they represent. And that's why like you'll find many even Christians that do support Hamas. I don't want to support Jabhat Shabiyya, which is um, the PFLP because they're atheists and they think that like, oh, Hamas, they're like, at least they believe in God, you know? So like they can, um, they can put, they can trust their eggs in their basket. It obviously doesn't like, you know, obviously what Hamas, um, uh, painted itself as isn't exactly what it is now, and you know, so it's just like kind of because it's kind of stuck with it. But yeah, so like I don't know. I hope that answers the question, the general question. I mean, I, I also um, me. 
Well, if you, I was going to add something, but if you want to move on, that's fine. No, go ahead, Tom. No, I was just going to say, I think, um, I mean, this is drawn what Muhammad said, that you know, Hamas did not develop out of a vacuum. To my understanding, it was originally an affiliate of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood in uh, the Gaza Strip. And for a while, um, it was founded in the 70s, 60s or 70s, I believe. And then believe it, believe it or not, at the time, it was actually peaceful. The Israeli government kind of like not quite supported them, but like, I guess, covertly. Well, I guess you could say so, like, they, did, they did support them in like a covert sense because they encouraged they, Hamas. They, monks, yeah. yeah, they saw it because they saw them as a way to draw them away from um, from the more sort of secular militant Fedayeen. And it was really only like around the first Intifada when they were like, oh, oh, crap, we you know, <laughs> this isn't good. Like, what have we, what have we done now? And I'm not saying Israel created Hamas, but I think that's something that does often go overlooked. That in its early years, you know, the, the Israeli government did kind of look the other way. And now it's like, oh, we have this huge problem with Hamas. And it's like, well, that, I mean, that's kind of an important part. It's funny that you say that, Tom, because one of the reasons that um, the strategy of Israel is to sustain but weaken the enemy and not demolish the enemy Right. Is because of exactly what you're talking about. Right. It completely changed uh, Israel's strategy, like and the way she looks at the world and uh, terrorist groups. So, I mean, I know that I'm sorry. That was really wrong for me to say. It's just a lot of times Israelis look at Hamas as a terrorist group instead of a democratic elected uh, party just because of um, you know, their actions, to say the least, the way that they attack Israel and also the way they attack, you know, Palestinians, Palestinian civilians. And that's actually something I wanted to ask. So what we see, and when I say we, it's Israeli media, is that Hamas blatantly attacks Palestinian civilians who go against the Hamas. Um, I've seen, I've personally seen videos where Hamas has raided weddings and just like, you know, assassin created like everyone there. Um, and that's for a person, not even Israeli Palestinian as a person. It's, it's really hard to witness and, and see that those things go on. So is that something people are aware of? Is it something that is true? Has it been manipulated in media? Um, I, I want Iyad to talk, but um, like before that, I just want to say that there's this kind of like tug of war happening in the West Bank and in Gaza, where in the West Bank, um, Fatah is arresting anyone that's associated with Hamas, and in Gaza, um, Hamas is arresting anyone associated with Fatah. And so there's, um, it's a kind of like uh, game that's trying to play to like maintain their um, positions of power, and so like yeah, that, I don't know if that like sheds more light, but yeah, that's basically what's going on for the most part. There is, sorry, I mean, sorry, just uh, no worries. Just a quick point about the election of Hamas. Um, obviously, just wanted to add that it, Hamas actually won just mainly because the peace process was not uh, successful. A lot of the a lot of the West Bankers, a lot of the Gazans looked at uh, the uh, negotiation process and said, "Okay, this has got us nothing." And Hamas have always, and in general in the Arab world, the Muslim Brotherhood have always kind of positioned themselves as the opposition. Um, and obviously, the majority of the Palestinians chose Hamas mainly because they, it was the opposition of the 
a, a route that wasn't successful, and secondly, because of the uh, corruption in Fatah during that period. I mean, I, I think it's important to note, though, that I feel like we're talking about Hamas as though, like, oh, they're just the opposition to Fatah and that. When it's important to remember, you know, that they are a brutal Islamist dictatorship organization. They share common ancestors in Abdul Azam Yusuf. Uh, with Al Qaeda, who founded Al Qaeda, and he was also a major theologian for Hamas. So we have to remember these that Hamas is not are, are not good people. I mean, the 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 structure, the, the the heads of the organization. I'm not talking about people on the ground who may have voted for them. That's a different that's a different conversation. Right, but like from what I'm understanding, there is no other <clears throat> option. Hamas represents the opposite of everything that they experienced until the election of Hamas, kind of like when Trump was elected. And I don't mean to sound crude or parallel or make that a uh, distinction, but when you are in a position when you're like, it's the lesser, of, you're choosing the lesser of two evils, right? It doesn't mean that they're good. And I don't think that most Palestinians, um, again, I don't want to talk for the Palestinians, so correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they would condone the actions, the humanitarian actions against uh, Hamas, like what Hamas does to other people. Well, the other thing too is that um, when people are religious and in government, then their religiosity um, may often become public image more than it is actual practice. If it is, well, that's actually what Machiavelli said, that a um, leader um, to the effect of needs to present themselves as religious, but in reality, um, be willing to do what it takes regardless of what the religion dictates. So um, whether people are religious in their personal lives is kind of different from um, how they express their values in running a country and being incentivized to um, show that they're religious in their personal lives um, doesn't necessarily filter for the right kind of people with respect to expressing their values in terms of how they run a country. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was just gonna really throw in, uh, look, Hamas is, a, is, is an Islamist organization, and it does represent an important demographic of Palestine, rightly or wrongly. A lot of Palestinians are quite religious. They're going to want some form of religious um, influence in the government. As for the actions, the asymmetrical warfare, terrorism, call it whatever you want. Yeah, most of us, we don't want anything to do with that. But unfortunately, Hamas is an important part of the of the Palestinian political makeup, just like other groups. Now, we don't... we. Ideally, it wouldn't be the case, but it is, as Muhammad said, or Yad said, sorry, due to the failure of negotiations. And so it's something where, like, yes, for example, someone like uh, Joshua said that there's connections to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, stuff like that. Yeah. But it yeah. is there is more nuance to it. As in, yes, they do do A, B, and C. But the thing is, why would uh, people support them? Al-Qaeda, to be clear, not the Muslim Brotherhood. Muslim Brotherhood, too, but they have deep connections. Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. It is directly an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. Can I, can I just jump jump in for a second? And I mean, I'm sure most people probably know this, but maybe some viewers don't. But like, there is like there is this sort of attempt to I feel like 
speak of Hamas and to a lesser extent Hezbollah, but that's a different topic. Hamas and Al Qaeda and ISIS in the same breath. I and mean, like they're really not comparable because like, you know, I'm not I don't support Hamas or anything, but they are like a nationalist movement and to my understanding, like all their attacks have either been in Israel or the occupied territories. Whereas Al Qaeda is kind of like all like you know Hamas, like yes and you know they're they're Islamists and I'm, I don't agree with Islamism, but you know they 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 have like their own sort of wheelhouse. Whereas Al Qaeda and ISIS are this sort of like global they want this like global caliphate. So you know I don't I don't know if they're quite like yes there's similarities but it's it's not they're they're not I don't think they're part of the same the sort of same international terror networks that you know has sort of captured uh, a lot of the attention of the uh, anti-terror uh, analysts. I absolutely agree with Tom, and um, I think it's the only thing that Al Qaeda, ISIS, and Hamas have in common is probably Islam in one vague connection or another. And even like if you look at like like if like I said like I hope we agree that like Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. Even if you look at the history of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, why these things happen? People don't like wake up one time and say, "Let me pick up a Quran and find the things that make me want to kill people," or like say something like that. That stuff doesn't happen find things that already confirm the bias of like oh i want to go do some bad things the people like the, the founders of um the founders of the muslim brotherhood in egypt came stemmed from a of seeing like british people uh, colonialists on the suez canal building nice houses in their own land and that was basically the history of why the muslim brotherhood became such an important thing like listen we gotta gather around our identity our arab muslim identity and try to drive out this British, try, try, to, uh, try to drive out the British. In the same way, like no one like, Israel doesn't just like, Jews don't wake up one day and say, oh, let me just move to this weird part of the Middle East that we have uh, historical connections to. It has to be some sort of driving force to ha give people that extra stuff to actually take action and move and do things. So yeah, I hope that gives more clarity. Uh, I don't, yeah, but isn't there a limit to their actions? I mean, isn't there a limit to what's okay and not okay? No, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and defend like, oh, like rockets for civilians or killing uh, innocent people. Like, not like, I, I, that goes without saying that I think that stuff's important and like should not ever be a part of uh, uh, of any like legitimate discussion about the topic. But at the same time, it's just that it's important to realize what, why these things happen and what situation causes these things to happen. If that makes sense, you know? Right. But let's give a scenario where israel one day wakes up okay and says we did you wrong we really and genuinely want a solution okay would hamas in a palestinian state or if there was a one-state solution in a scenario where there is peace okay and yeah. there is self-determination for two nations does Hamas continue to be a militant political group? Well, you look at examples from around the world, like let's say the, the IRA after the Good Friday Agreement happened. You know, as, as soon as as soon as some agreement happened, whether it's the Tamil Tigers, even they dropped their arms struggle, and when 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 an agreement was reached, like the thing is, is that if you remove the conflict, you remove the radicalism, and I think although we're not going to solve it through this chat but it, it would it, it does uh, help in terms of gaining understanding and um, in regards to uh, solving this issue so that there is no reason for someone to become radicalized 
Now, the thing with Gaza is, from what I understand, the majority of the people there are internally displaced from cities that are now in Israel. Um, and really, the, the root of this whole conflict is, uh, is, based, uh, is, is about numbers. Like, the Palestinians are a people that were once the 92% majority of the land in, at the time of the Balfour Declaration. And in order, to, uh, in, in order for Israel to be Israel, uh, it could not happen with an 8% uh, Jewish minority. You could not rule over a, minor, uh, a 92% Arab uh, majority. And so, therefore, the, the demographics of the land had to be reversed in order to create a stable basis for a Jewish country. And so this is what we have been through as Palestinians. We have been in cities that we have been lived in, that we have lived in for centuries as a multi-ethnic, multi-religious society, as, an, uh, as the dominant majority of, of the land, uh, land being reduced into, um, uh, into, a, into a minority. Um, and nobody likes being reduced into a minority because it will raise all sorts of questions about your legal status and who's representing you, whether you're an African-American in Louisiana or Aborigine in Australia or a Maori in New Zealand. Uh, th this is something which I think a lot of us don't know how to explain in terms of when we talk about our Palestinian narrative, what we have been through. A lot of people try to make it about religion or make it about something when really it's like trying to answer a, a mathematical equation using English literature. The whole thing is about numbers. Um, and uh, it, now it's about how can we preserve, because the, I personally don't believe the answer to being demographically reversed is to reverse the demographics back. No, we have to call it, we, someone, we have to call it an end, and whether it's going to be a one state with two separate territories where these people can have some sort of legal representation. I mean, like the, 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 the main objective now is to end uh, the, like, to, to end the living under military rule. Because like, I think we're Palestinians are probably the only people that if, if a Palestinian uh, does something, he will go to a military court, not a civilian court. And so that, in that essence lies the, the root of the problem. It's not the, 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 the thing that we have to solve now is not about land, it's about legal stuff if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I wanna touch on something because I feel like this is hinting at a larger theme that I've noticed that is very relevant to conflict resolution. It seems like we often have a distorted view of our opposition and I see this manifest in, in a few ways. Firstly, we often view the most extreme in our opposition and we attribute those qualities to the whole. So, for example, Israelis will see terrorists and they'll conclude that Palestinians are terrorists or uh, Palestinians will be abused by, uh, let's say, a soldier. And they'll come to the conclusion that that Israelis are all oppressors. And similarly, in the United States, you could see uh, Republicans are all racist. Um, Democrats are all Antifa and looters and rioters. Right. We, we take the most extreme in a group and we attribute that to the entire group. So that really gives us a distorted view and how that really touches to what we're saying now. I actually see something similar when it comes to, to how we perceive the, the votes of our opposition. So, you know, it, sometimes what we, what we dislike the most in some political party 
is not the same reasons why people are voting for that party. So when we when we view Hamas, we say, okay, well, they, they want to kill us. Gazans voted for Hamas. That means Gazans want to kill us, right? That's the conclusion that many Israelis reach. But if you ask Gazans why they voted for Hamas, as we've already seen in this conversation, there's many other reasons, you know, security, social issues. Um, and and this holds true also um, in the United States, right? The, the, the critique on Trump is that he's, He's a pathological liar. He's a racist. Look how he acts. But that's not why Republicans vote for Trump. It's it's for completely other reasons. You know, I, I think that the solution to this distortion we have of our opposition is to get to know the opposition. Right. It's to not it's to not let the media dig, uh, tell us who our opposition is and what what they're like and what they value. And to not let the most extreme in a group dictate to us um, what the opposition is. So. The solution is it really comes down to the humanization of the other, and and I think that's that's a theme that that we're we're hinting at right here. Well, also in terms of humanization of the other, um, you have to sort of leave yourself open. You have to somehow feel like um, your own social network, your own community, is smaller than you would like it to be, to the point where um, you are willing to expand your view of what your own social network, what your own community could be. Now this can happen for a lot of reasons in a lot of ways. Um, in my case, um, one of the things here is that my own community, um, liberal Judaism and the diaspora um, is really changing. It's very much in flux. It has a lot of people um, leaving. It should have more people coming in, I think. And um, we definitely seem to need um, fundamentally new paradigms in order to survive and truly be um, a um, moral force as a community. So one of the things that Palestinians have, Palestinians um, have a very strong connection to the land of Israel. They have um, very deep roots there, and um, they have um, a very powerful, cohesive society. So um, being in a community where um, one of our concerns is apathy, and at the same time, uh, we practically hold a bunch of the keys, um, I think that um, I think that there was a very interesting bit here. I just need to. I just want to go back and say one thing about Hamas, and then let's continue the conversation. Because I feel that in some way we're starting to equate Donald Trump and Hamas, and to make sound, like Hamas sound like they're a legitimate opposition movement that Israel at some point can work with. When they're not, when I think they, as Tom Tom said, they uh, are they working don't, together now. To a level, they do, and I think it's a mistake, a huge mistake that Israel does, that they don't go in there and they, they need to crush Hamas and take responsibility. And whether we can do, we can debate whether the PLO actually is a conversation, but just like the Taliban is not a, is, is a brutal terrorist dicta, uh, Islamist dictatorship organization that's just bad for everybody, Hamas in the same way. At least from my way, maybe, maybe some of you guys feel differently, but I just want to 
let that be known. No, like yeah, I'm. Well, but at an individual level, to... I, I agree that we can't that we can't that they're the individuals. Each of you guys are individuals, and people who vote may have voted Hamas are individuals, and it's important at the ground to talk to each other and to to, to humanize each side and humanize the individuals that are involved. And, uh, so, uh, a quick note about this. Um, you know, Hamas is actually part of the Palestinian people for many good reasons. And it thrives during absence of peace. Um, the one thing, I mean, how I look at it and how many people in my city look at it, Hamas is exactly the same as Haganah, Stern, um, you know, the, the, the Jewish militias pre-1948. They're exactly the same. There is, I could not see a single difference between them. The only thing is... That's right. Yeah. The, the only difference is that they're they're Islamic. The other side is Jewish. Um, so many Palestinians look at the Stern model and say, "Okay, well, they have succeeded in created a, a creating a company." And not a company. Sorry, I'm thinking of. Anyways, um, they've succeeded in created a country. Why don't we do the same? Um, so it, it you know the best way to explain Hamas is really. Just explain Haganah, explain Stern. They're exactly the same. They have the same. It's not the same. same. They might have the same tactics, but it's not the same. The British were a foreign power. And I can understand that people look at Jews and Israelis and say they're foreigners. But according to the Jewish people, we are indigenous to the land. So you are using tactics that people indigenous to the land used on a foreign power. And you're using the Italians are also I'm not I don't deny that they're indigenous to the land, but it's two indigenous people fighting each other. You know what I mean? So it's a different scenario. That, it is, I guess, on paper, it can be seen as like differently, but isn't like, as you said, like in the power, in especially the Hamas narrative, you guys are also foreign to the land. So that's why it's done. Oh, uh, we're not justifying that. Mm-hmm. But I just want to I just want to say, sorry, Jason, I just want to say to uh, Joshua, why what you said about a lot of the connections in the past are definitely true. I'm sure, you know, someone like, you know, that Islamists, for example, hate Shia more than other groups, like Sunni Islamists, for example, hate Shia Muslims and other Muslims more. Yet Hamas works with Iran. Hamas works with whoever. And to be honest with you, in the near future, there's a very high chance that just how Israel now works with the PA and 20 years beforehand they were fighting. Now Israel allows $100 million, I think, a month or something to go from Qatar to Gaza. Yeah, Qatar, Turkey. Yeah. So no matter how you feel about that. They are working together in one way or another. Hamas tries to stop other groups sending rockets. And so really, we can try and be like puritanical. But unfortunately, in the Middle East, it's filled with bad actors and strange relations. And, real and so that is the reality on the ground. I guess I, can, I guess I can agree with that. Yeah. That there is real politicking in the Middle East. I want. I, I just want to mention something about violence real quick. And just I'll preface this. I'm not saying Israel is an apartheid state. I do not think it is. I know that's kind of like a trigger word. I'm just saying that. In apartheid South Africa, um, you know, there's this sort of, I guess, mythos that's developed uh, ret- uh, retrospectively that, oh, it's just peaceful. Like, like no, I mean, it, it was very violent, and, you know, rightfully so, at least in some respects. You know, and a lot of the, a lot of the deaths that occurred were, were, were warring anti-apartheid factions, like Nelson Mandela. Well, not maybe not Nelson Mandela specifically, but I think one of his wives, you know, was involved in violence against other black South Africans, and you know. These resistance, like they're not universally peaceful. Even the civil rights movement in the United States, there was violence, and you know that's what. Even even and even like even with what, which I mean, well, well, okay, I'll bring I'll bring those up because a lot of people try try to like say, well, why do you talk about Israel but not this? But what's going on in uh, Xinjiang and in, in China with the Uyghurs? 
Um, look, I mean, there are there are in fact you know actual Uyghur terrorist organizations that have killed innocent people, and that's that that's the excuse the Chinese government uses to uh, commit genocide against them. Uh, I mean, I think people like when there is a, even the Nazis, like you know, people think like the Nazis were just you know sitting around like you know rubbing their hands, but, like you weren't evil, and like like no, like they had reasons, very bad reasons. Okay, very bad reasons, but they had reasons why. What you no, know, they they thought that like there was a global Jewish conspiracy literally out to destroy you know the german people and they're like well we have to kill them before they kill us so that's like what it, i mean people you know so i mean that's just kind of you know my, my point people always you know sit, they try to find excuses for what they do well, yeah, I, been, well, yeah. so hamas um the, it does even with the rockets and with the violence it has a very complicated relationship with israel even in mina like everything is very complicated there's what's said and what's done so for example hamas um does negotiate about things like um, releasing the aid payments and also um, the um, trade and the um, extent of the fishing grounds um, and that those things go through Israel. Um, meanwhile, Hamas um, arrested people quite recently for the equivalent of this call, something very similar to this call. They went and they went to jail. So um, it seems to me, um, what, what do you make of that? Uh, I, I want to say this, uh, that when you're not as powerful as like a government that's recognized by the UN and by all these other nations, you have to do these dirty tactics to try to maintain your power. The reason why I believe a lot of countries allow freedom of press, such as Israel or the United States, is because to some, to some extent, they, they, they know it's not that influential to whatever's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's, it, it could influence, but only to a certain extent and an extent that they're comfortable with. At any point, if um, a Palestinian, I don't know anyone who lived in the West Bank, I didn't clarify this, but I'm actually Palestinian. I grew up over there and um, I currently live in New York. But everyone knows that like, you got to really be careful about your uh, Facebook-like history when you're crossing the Jisset or when you're crossing the bridge because you might just talk and they'll tell you, nope, okay, go back to Jordan. And... Uh, so, like, so, like, that's the thing. If, like, a country determines that, like, listen, th these guys have a political thing that's going on that might be actually um, a, that might be a good contender in our political, they may, like, shift the way people view things. They might, some people might get arrested. You know what I mean? And so it's just the thing. Like, listen, like, what Hamas is doing is not wrong. Like, I don't, I have no love for Hamad. I'm not, I'm, I'm not an Islamist. I'm not, I don't fall into any of that stuff. But, like, just to go on to, like, what Tom was saying is that, there needs to be like there there is reasons whether they're good or not there are reasons why things happen and it's just important to realize what those reasons are so we can like try to figure out a solution and try to like solve whatever we're dealing with i mean i gotta say though like about terrorism terrorism yes terrorism no we can disagree for 10 years but the thing is that the price that the palestinian people pay for the violence of these organizations is not worth it. When I was in Protective Edge, what do you call it? You know, Hamas launched a couple of rockets. We lost 50 people. But do you know who really paid the price? It was the Palestinian people who were living in Gaza. And, and this in this whole violence, and this is always going to be the second. The Palestinians well, we've, pay the price of the People pay the price of this violence. Much well, more Palestinians will always pay the price of this violence. As in, I understand, your, it, I understand what you're saying. Road, this we've explained to you what people support them. No, we've explained to you what people support them. I agree with what you're saying. So as in, like, as in, we're it just going to go in circles it's... in this part, unfortunately. No, no, no it, it does work. That's why they're still there. I, I understand what you're saying. As in, you guys don't really get affected as much. 
And when you guys respond, it's the it civilians works? that get affected. I don't think Look, it works as much as Israel tolerates. Israel tolerates. What do you mean by it works? What works? I'm just Hamas is in power. They run the Gaza Strip. Exactly. So because of absence of peace, again, because Hamas thrives during war, and the more war, the more fans they'll have. So this is why they're in power at the moment. We've explained, like, We've just explained like, as in, like, why people go to them. We also have explained many aspects as well, why we disagree yeah. with stuff like that. And I know in Israelis' like, mindset, it makes no sense. Hamas does something, oh. Israelis respond, civilians died. But that's just how, as in, we've explained why people gravitate towards them, and Yadna has I mean, explained that in the vacuum of a peace situation, they're going to be there. And it's they've been there longer than ever. They've had Gaza for, what, 14 years now? But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. you. Yeah. I agree with you, but I think it's the uh, it's the it's the fact is that the reason Hamas exists is because Israel doesn't want to take responsibility for the Gaza Strip. They rather let Hamas run it because they don't want to have too much problems. They don't want to rule it. They don't I agree with you. That. And if they went in and they want to take care of Hamas, Hamas would be gone the next week. And and I agree with. I think oh, I don't know if they're next week, but I, I agree. In with any Israel could around the world in any situation around the world where another person's military is uh, running th- is is in power and imposing rule over you. There will there will always be some form of guerrilla attacks or militant resistance and everything. It's just the nature. Of the game, and I think the, the 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 bigger picture here beyond Hamas is what we've been sort of focusing on um, is uh, like the, the the how this even how the situation even happened. Like I said before, the the majority of the people that live in the Gaza Strip aren't originally from Gaza; they're from places that are now in Israel. And it, it's something which I would like to get your perspective on as as Jewish people in terms of. Um, how like what uh the right of return yeah well like how how much um like was taught in regards in like did you did you know that there there was a 92 percent arab majority on the land that had to be demographically reversed in order to create a stable basis for a jewish country and and like can you can, can you at least acknowledge that it wasn't reasonable for Arabs at the time in 1905, uh, you know, all, like threw up um, to to be against the idea of having Zionist rule imposed over them. Like this, this, this whole uh, demographic reversal is the root of the situation that we have now. And I don't blame both sides for taking the positions that they took. Jews needed to get out of Europe, right? I, and this is and this is something which a Not lot of people, if they're listening, yeah. they can understand that Jews were never considered Europe Europeans by other Europeans, and they needed a place to go, and they had a historic connection to this land. Now, the the only thing is is that there wasn't a real plan on what to do with the local demographic majority of of, of the land. And I feel that this is something which has been left out of the conversation for for for, for far too long because it, it, it gets drawn back to ideology, it gets drawn back to these things. And when the whole uh, the, the the whole thing is uh, um, about uh, one people's having to demographically reverse another people in order to have a country, and now it's left those people living under military rule. Right, those who are not Israeli Arabs, 
who do not have the passport and they're living uh, in between um, hot, like I, I tried, I had a conversation to try and uh, start a solar energy company <laughs> to try and bring panels into, into the West Bank. We've had this conversation. So I would like to like, let's talk about things that we can, we, we can actually change because I don't think any of us here are going to be able to go and change the Hamas charter tomorrow. So what can we change? What can we achieve out of this conversation other than uh, us explaining our narrative to you? But I guess first, I'd just like to hear about what you know about the demographics that had to be reversed in order for Israel to be Israel and whether you were taught about that. I, listen, well, I wasn't raised in Israel, okay? And I'm the only yeah. one here, I think, as the, in the Jewish... Oh, wait, no, Yeshua too. We were the only two that live in Israel, but you weren't raised in Israel, right, Yoshua? Uh, no, I was raised in the States. Right. So, and then you came well, to the Adar army, also, right? Well, Adar is not talking, but um, yeah, I came, from the, I, came, I came for the army, but I also came to live here. Okay, Sababa. So I, I don't know what I was taught at school. I don't think Yeshua could be known either. I took, I, I had a degree, okay? In I was taught in a Zionist religious school, so I can talk to it a little bit more from an American Jewish perspective, but continue, Dami, yeah. sorry. Um, but when I was in uh, my school in the University of Jerusalem, we did learn about the demographics. I, I don't want to like lie to you. I don't remember 92.8, but I do obviously remember like the narrative that we needed to become a, mi a majority from a minority. I think that it's very hard for Israelis to accept, including myself. Uh, learning these things, I think that as an individual, if someone was to put a mirror in your face and say, this is how you look, it doesn't matter what your intentions were and how holy or whatever, it doesn't matter. This is, this is the consequence of whatever vision you aspired for, okay? Can, it's hard can, you, see my, can you see my screen? Yeah, Jason, I'll bring it up in a minute. I'll just let Danny finish it. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think it's really, really hard. It takes a lot to accept the fact that something that for us is a dream come true um, was able to be also in the same, on the other side of the co coin, the worst nightmare for a different set of people. Um, and I think that's, if you're asking me, what can we do literally to change it is one, open dialogue. Two, we're a generation of people who are now becoming teachers, politicians, activists, artists, authors, physicians, the like. And we get to influence the younger generation with our thoughts and um and I think that what we can do is just turn to our communities and change um, and challenge the hostility and the difficulty that both nations have to accept uh, in their responsibility over whatever happened. Just to comment quickly, uh, Danny, on your point. The Palestinians were not the only victims of this. Many and many Jews were the victims of political Zionism. I mean, right. Haganah and Stern have killed, I'd even argue, more, more Jews than Palestinians during that period. I mean, look at the bombing of ships just because a certain number of Jewish refugees decided not to 
refuge, take refuge in Palestine to go somewhere else. And the extreme Zionists were like, okay, well, we don't want them to go there. I want to prevent future Jews from even thinking about it. And so they went and blown up a, a whole ship with 250 people on it, plus the crew member. So it's not just the Palestinians who were victims. It's a lot of Jews who were victims of Zionism, political Zionism. Right. And this is something people, people need to really the think about. are not in power now. And that Absolutely. And I appreciate the IDF that. And that wasn't the, the, the government. So well, they I think that is the precursor of uh, Likud. No, 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 the precursor of the Ergun in certain ways is the precursor of the Likud, and that is not Ergun, my bad, I'm sorry, yeah. I mean, the organization doesn't exist, I do agree with you, but their leaders actually took leadership positions later on in the government. So, you know, a lot of Israelis today need to look at the history and understand what political Zionism has done to Jews around the world, not just Jews um, trying to I, take refuge. I, 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 I wanna, Palestinians yeah. accept the responsibility of what has happened to innocent civilians? Because I think most Israelis and Jews would agree with uh, the cause, with the Palestinian cause, right? The right for self-determination in whatever shape or form. But you're, the fight, as I see it and as many Israelis see it, is not against the government who are responsible for these actions. You're hitting the country where it hurts most and it's innocent civilians. What delegitimizes to us because if you were fighting the IDF, if you were fighting the government, first of all, on an international platform, your cause would be just. And I feel like Israel, as a right wing and an extreme, well, I don't want to say extreme, but I'm a wholehearted Israel lover, okay? I I, I couldn't support a cause that was fought justifiably, like justifiably. Well, also um, another thing too about the demographic changes, the demographic changes came about by migration into the country largely, which is a very common way for demographic changes to come about. It happened, for example, to the USA um, a little earlier when the Western European um, demographic majority um, was lost as people came in from Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, and elsewhere. And nowadays people are coming into the US from all over the world. Now people do discuss um, the um, demographic um, losses of people from the West in the United States although I'm not going to name names. And um, in Israel itself, um, there was also a lot of migration um, after the state was founded from the Middle East and North Africa and other parts of the world, again, um, drastically changing the demographic dynamic. Now, Palestinians um, do seem to be um, particularly unhappy and probably did suffer um, more than most people um, because of um, the demographic changes. But I still think um, a, couple of, a couple of things here. Um, first of all, um, how do you minimize the effects of the demographic change, minimize the adverse effects of the demographic changes on the people already there? Um, we could do a much better job of this. And second of all, um, I actually think step one um, might be 
to, um, for us to start um, rejecting the paradigm that Palestinians are unwanted. Um, there is a paradigm pervasive throughout um, our throughout um, Israeli and even Jewish culture that Palestinians are unwanted, and this is causing a lot of problems um, to the point where there is a recent article published by a um, major think tank in Israel talking about Arab Knesset members, enemies of peace. Now, you don't have to agree with them, these Knesset members, to recognize that um, this is a racialized questioning and it is very similar to um, the dual loyalty accusations against Jews. Um, so in my synagogue, for example, um, I belong to a reconstructionist synagogue and one of the things that um, we are doing is thinking a lot about interfaith couples, which is a major um, demographic group in my community. And um, that it represents a change because the rate of intermarriage has gone way up. So now what can we do? I would, I'd, I'd really like to show you what I'm talking about. I've just, I've just put up um, this screen. Yeah. This is from probably not a lot. This is not a right or a left-wing resource. This is a fairly neutral resource. And just to give, just to show you uh, what it is I was talking about, is that if you look here, 1918, you'll see that Jews made up 8% of the population. This is a Jewish, non-Jewish population of Israel-Palestine. And then you can see after... Um, uh, after World War II, when all when uh, Aliyah was being encouraged and everything, they made up only 30% of the population. And even that was not a stable basis to create a Jewish country. Otherwise, it would be minority rule. So what had to happen? And you look here, 1947, the population of non-Jews was 1.3 million. In 48, it was 156,000. These are all the towns and villages depopulated during the 1948 exodus, um, including the town Al-Damun, which is where my surname Damuni comes from. Um, so it, th this is unlike anything else that has happened in modern history. And it is a very unique circumstance. And it is the reason why... Uh, uh, things are the, the the way they are today. Now, uh, the only thing that we need, that I guess as Palestinians would like to see from uh, our Israeli Jewish cousins is this type of just acknowledging this uh, for, for us to be able to move on. This is what needed to happen for you to have the Zionist dream and to have your, uh, to have your statehood. And I, I don't think that there's, inherently anything racist or wrong with Zionism. I believe every people should have the right to their own self-determination. And that is why I believe in the right for Jews to have their own state. But I, I got to reach back. Yeah. Yoshu, let me, let me just hop in real quick. Go for um, it. Go for it so, you know, Jason, to answer your original question, if we were taught this, so I could only speak for my upbringing, but 
The answer is no. And, and I think generally speaking, we all learn history. When we're taught the history of our people or of our nations, we're, it's, it's often glorified. So, for example, in the United States, maybe it's not like this today, but you'll learn that Christopher Columbus is, is a hero. They don't tell you that he was genocidal, right? So, so we, that, that, that's not part of our narrative in any way, shape, or form. Any injustice that was committed to the, to the Palestinians by, by, um, by the early Zionists is, is not mentioned. Now, I, I think this is just quite, quite consistent across the board in how nations teach their people history. But it is a very important point about demographic change. And I think we need understanding of this because it's relevant to, to both people, right? If, if we want to understand one of the injustices that was committed towards the Palestinians, it was a demographic change that was intentional, as you say. Well, it was and necessary. It, Otherwise, there would be no stable basis to create Israel. It was a necessary change, unintentional, intentional. At, but, but so, so with that, you know that that same concept of you know demographic demographic shift and and the psychological toll it plays on a population is exactly why concepts like the right of return or just a one state, one binational state is so foreign to most Israelis. It's for the same exact reason. So. I, I, you know, obviously, we all need to acknowledge the the injustices of the past. I believe it's part of reconciliation, um, but we also, as you mentioned, Jason, we need to be understanding of the psychological toll and the concern of a demographic shift uh, on both sides. Right? It's the the solution to an injustice is not another injustice. Correct, and that I don't advocate for the demographic reversal of Israel. I think that our Jewish brothers and sisters have suffered enough in Europe. Uh, and should have the security and the freedom to be able to do with that, to, to, to have their own state and everything. But at least acknowledge that this happened at the denial of our national identity, our national state, so that we can at least build a new narrative together where we can enjoy both being both under civilian law um, and... Uh, working together to make the land somewhat prosperous and everything. Now, whether that is through a two-state solution or whether it is dividing up the territories so we don't we don't mess up our numbers within our own political bodies. We need to be in separate polities um, uh, so 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 that there's uh, so that there's there's no struggle over who has the biggest demographics and we can we can just focus on coexisting in the same place and building business, building the land, uh, and, and moving on with things. And I guess for that to happen, there needs to be two things. You need the Jews and the Arabs who want to coexist to outnumber the radicals on both sides. And we have to seek out those on our respective sides to help de-radicalize them or participate in some effort whether it's me going to other Palestinians and trying to explain the Ashkenazi struggle throughout Europe and why Zionism had to happen, even though uh, most most uh, Orthodox Jews were against Zionism at the very beginning until they got pushed to a point where there was... I'm sorry, it's not just Orthodox Jews. It was a Jewish you can't you can't just say oh this is about Jews in Europe. I think this is a blind eye that a lot of the outcomes. Yeah. 
I wasn't implying, just to clarify, I wasn't implying that, but a lot of people from our side see Ashkenazi Jews as European when they're not. And that is something that needs to be, that's something that needs to be, and, and for the other side, for our Sephardi and Mizrahi brothers, before the Balfour Declaration, before the Islamic civilization flipped from being paranoid, uh, from being tolerant of its minority somewhat compared to European Christian civilization, the Jewish people had the Jewish Academy of Baghdad. They, ser they served as advisors to the caliphs. Uh, there, there was a rich, the Talmud was written in Iraq. There was a rich history of Jews and Christians existing within the Bladisham region under the Muslim civilization. This was not something which happened in Europe, as opposed to all the uh, Greek, Roman gods, all the things got just got wiped out. There's no trace of that left in, in Europe, these cultures. So, and so I'm not, we can't judge the past through the eyes of the present. Uh, but that we, the, 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 at least in terms of reconnecting as Abrahamic cousins, we can look at times where the where where uh, the the Jews in those regions before the atrocities of the Farhud or the Ujda and everything. I think this is what our Arab brothers need because the Palestinians didn't do that uh, to those communities. But as a collective, acknowledge what happened to them. Acknowledge what happened to everybody that had things happen to them, right? Um, and drive the conversation where it's just about, okay, guys, like, yeah, uh, our earlier generations had a lot of issues and conflicts and things like that, and there were uh, grave injustices that have happened. But in the end of the day, uh, 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 Jewish uh, cousins got to have a stake, um, and and we're still trying to find our uh, uh, legal identity. And this is uh, something which I hope this conversation will contribute in a bigger part of moving that to to being able to just finally you know live and grow the country together. I mean, I gotta I gotta agree with you that uh, you know finding a way to live and grow together and to recognize uh, each other's pains. But for me, when when people say the Jews have to recognize that, what do you call it, that they were on the, the Israelis, I should say, should have to recognize they were on the wrong side in 1948 and that they did everything wrong and that they have to accept no, that they did wrong to the Palestinians. For me, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to accept because it, it makes me it seem like we were born in sin. And uh, you no. talked about what we what No, we no, no. And if I gave you that impression, that's the wrong impression. That's not I'm what you're implying. Let me bring forth a little distinction on yeah. this because it's, it's important. Nobody should be guilty in any way, shape or form for the actions of their ancestors or parents at all. Right. And, and I think uh, and we see this conversation happening a lot, whether it's, you know, wh white Americans that are descendants of slave owners. They're not responsible in any way, shape or form for those injustices. Israelis are not in any way, shape or form responsible for injustices committed towards Palestinians and Palestinians are not in any way responsible for for any terrorism that may have been committed by by their ancestors I, I'm that, talking about but I'm talking about generation itself I don't believe but that that being said reconciliation is essential and it seems like one of the single best ways to reconcile is just an acknowledgement of the errors of our ancestors because while we're not guilty for those actions, they still are our own people. And acknowledging that 
there's a whole lot in in allowing the other side to see that we care for them. So, uh, so the, the, the acknowledgement I viewed as more symbolic than anything, we're not guilty, but we come from a people who, who committed injustice towards another group of people. And if we could acknowledge that, that I feel is part of the reconciliation process. And, th and this goes both ways, right? I don't like comparing whose injustice is worse, but, um, but, but I think there, both sides have something to acknowledge when it comes to the past, even the near past, you know, there's still, the occupation still exists. There's still ter terror attacks, right? So, you know, there's still something to be said about it, acknowledging the, um, our errors, but we can do that without being personally guilty for it. So I think that's important to understand. I also I want to clarify, I really, I just want to, I want to clarify just, I was like, I, I understand, just as I understand why Palestinians did not want uh, to be demographically reversed and have Zionist rule imposed over them. I understand, I'm not saying Israel is born in sin. I also understand why Israel had had to come to exist and had legitimate reason to exist because you, because the Jewish people needed to have a homeland or free of, of persecution. They have just like any other people, the right to their own national identity. So I am, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not saying that you are born in sin. I'm not saying, oh, this, Israel is, you know, like Israel is inherently evil. No, I'm saying that both sides' actions were reasonable at the time in terms of their position. And now we're in 2020, almost 2021 soon. We are in a better position as the younger generation to connect and have these conversations that our past uh, generations could not have so that we can learn to coexist. Yeah. Um, is it right, okay if I just say something is, real quick? Or go ahead, Danny. Yeah. No, go for it. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, so I want to say, this is just like from my experience of like, I'm studying education right now. And like one class that I'm taking right now is um, teaching history to children. And New York is a very progressive environment. You know, it's like a lot of, we're taught a lot of progressive things. A lot of the stuff we're talk, talking about is how to teach culturally relevant pedagogy. So what, that's the long way of saying how to teach, um, uh, teach to kids that is tailored from their cultural background and one of the most important thing is that like it's not to make the, the, the whole point of like trying to teach kids about like the wrongdoings of columbus and let's say american uh, colonialism it's not to say like listen you're white feel bad about it like the same way i'm not going to go up to a catholic and say remember the crusades that was pretty messed up what you guys did you know what i mean it's, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense to like think about it that way yeah. it's just to realize in the same way like if someone like, i'm not gonna go up to someone and be like damn you guys like messed up a lot of stuff like back in the day or like currently or whatever. You know what I mean? So like, I think it's just to acknowledge that like, listen, no, no, like every nation has skeletons in its closet. I don't know of any country where like people just got invited in. They're just like, okay, like, you know, and just accepted it. It's, there's always going to be some like sort of pushback or something. And the important thing is just to acknowledge that things like that happen. And, you know, they're wrong. And we're different people now. I'm not my dad. I'm not my grandfather. You, neither is everyone over here. We're our own people right now. And we don't have to bear the sins of our uh, bear the sins or the rewards or, or the praise of our ancestors. You know that they're cool. They had their time. It's time to do our thing. And our, the thing now to do is try to figure out a good way to deal about this. And whether it's like acknowledging all the stuff, like the like you know, like Palestinians, like, if you acknowledge the Hebrew massacre or Israel got to acknowledge the 1948 and the demographic reversal, it's that it's not like like Yeshua specifically needs to go and feel back, feel bad, feel bad. I'm like, listen, it's your fault. Why do you, like, you, you, you didn't have any choice being a Jew as I did being a Palestinian. Like, you know, we, we, just, got, we just got thrown into here, into the situation. So 
I mean, like, yeah, we, we, it's just, just to like understand from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just taught as a zero sum game. Yeah. If I'm Israeli, that means you can't be Palestinian because there is no Palestine. And if you're a Palestinian, then I can't be Israeli because there is no Israel. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm picking my brain at. How do you, how, how can you uh, speak to people and show them that one identity doesn't come at the expense of the other? That's an excellent question. Uh, uh, maybe someone can answer that. Well, <laughs> well I mean, I'll, I'll just say, like, there's not, within Israel, like, yes, technically there is an Israeli nationality, but, like, there's no, like, Israeli nation. Like, if, if I'm not, like, it's sort of a controversial thing, but, like... I'm Israel. Like, I think you're... I, I don't know where you're getting your information from, but Israel was brought from the Torah. Sorry that I came out really soon. No, 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 no. I don't... I don't, I don't... Israel... I felt it in my answer. talking about the state of Israel, because the state of Israel... Like, my understanding there's ID cards, and they'll list your, I think, ethnicity. They'll say Jew, Arab, Circassian, whatever... And if you're someone like me who's a patrilineal, whose mother is a Gentile, whose father is Jewish, I think if I were to make Aliyah, I, I would, it would probably like say like like undetermined or not something, because like there's not like a real sense of like cohesion. Like yes, Israel is 25% Gentile, but at the same time, you know, if if a if a, if a Palestinian emigrates, like a Palestinian citizen of Israel emigrates from, you know, uh, from, emigrates from Israel, I mean, let's be honest, the cause of celebration. If a Jew does it, it's it's. It's, it's sad. It's, it, there's a term for it called Yarida. I, to my understanding, it's actually sort of an issue in Israeli politics because every each party is like, well, here's what we can do to decrease Yarida or bring people. And but like you know, and, and here's the thing: like that would not necessarily, if you know, Israeliness, it wouldn't be it being synonymous with Jewishness. It wouldn't be a problem, you know, if uh, there, you know, it, it was not founded on top of you know another nation, but you know. Even just within Israel proper, 25% of the people in no way, shape, or form identify as Jews. If you include the occupied territories, it's possibly a majority. So, you know, I think that's where people, I think that's why people object to Zionism. It's one of those, it's one, like, you know, it's just because there's no real sense of what it means to be an Israeli, or if there is, it just means to be Jewish. Um, was I, gonna well, say? I mean, I yeah. think that's a topic that Israel talks about, like Israelis between themselves, right? Because a lot of people look at Judaism not only as a religion, but as a nation, right? So yeah. Israel can be a country of the new Jewish nation that was created from Jews as in the Jewish religion. But today, most of us are secular. Believe me, Jews themselves, I am a Jew. My soon-to-be husband yeah. is a Jew. And we're not getting married through the Rabbanut because we think it's ridiculous that if I wanted to marry someone else, I couldn't because they're not Jewish and I'm a Jew. And so that's something that Israelis themselves debate over. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well, between, overlapping. Between Jews, you mean? Between Jews, because again, like with, I mean, at, at the very least, like a quarter of Israel, Israelis, on paper Israelis are not Jewish. And right. if you include the occupied territories, it's possibly a majority. And I think that does cause some kind of, you know, resentment. You know, uh, I was, before prepared for this, I was actually looking over some pupils on Israeli attitudes. And, you know, I, I'm seeing it's like 98% of Israeli Jews either say that all or most of their friends are Jewish, that they have no non-Jewish friends. And it's like, you know, and a lot of husbands. Well, they don't is, know. Is, or they don't know. See, that, like, that's why I don't ask. It's not a question because we, you ask in Israel, are you Jewish? 
I've never asked the person, are you Jewish? This is, this is, this I'm is like Israel is a Jewish China. nation. This isn't like a bias. Uh, this isn't a bias. This isn't like death to Israel.net. And this is an unbiased. I mean, but where are you going to, where are you going to, many, many Jews who live in Israel, they don't really, and, and I think, and this is both sides. I've met multiple Palestinians. I'm not sure. I'm sure. The, I'm pretty sure the first deep conversation they had with the Jew was me. They just based on the first deep, or, or maybe they don't know, they don't know, they don't know, not, they don't know non they don't know non-Palestinians. They don't know Jews. And if you live in Netanya and you go to a Jewish school and you spend, and everybody in your neighborhood is Jewish, where are you going to meet non-Jews? You know, it's, That's it's true. not part of your yeah, really, yeah. That's the thing. That's you don't, where do you mix okay, with yeah, guys that, like Lamla, Lot, Haifa, Yafa? Like, you don't mix that often. Like, even in Jerusalem, I don't, you, you mixed, like, unless you're, what, if you're in the tourist industry? As an in Jerusalem, like, I I live in Jerusalem, I never mixed with the Jewish quarter. I don't know. I, I, I would see them. I, I would see them a girl, but I'd never mix with them. So how do Israelis? My friends are all Christians. Do you like my closest friends are Christians, or I got mostly. I got mostly Jewish so friends. I don't know. Maybe Christians I have a weird experience, but for me, I saw Muslims and Jews and Christians and Armenians. Like it wasn't for me. It was super together. You know what I mean? I didn't experience the. I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real. I grew up, I lived in Rwanda for like nine years. I've seen Jews like probably like four times. I've seen like four Jews like all my time over here. All of the Jews I've seen are in New York. <laughs> you know where I am now. And so They're it's like. In New York than they are in Israel. I, I always made a joke. It's the today and the sparse time. You know? <laughs> uh, at the same time, it's the land of Israel number two. But like the thing is, it's. Um, it's, it's because, like, listen, like, I live in the settlement near my house is Beit Il, Beit El. It's huge. I see it, the roof tiles, but there's a big wall around it. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. I don't like. For all I know, no one lives there. You know, there's no. I there's no. Work, I used to work out of Beit El. Funny enough. Okay, then you're right, right next to our neighbor. <laughs> the thing that I just a question on 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 like like Jewish like uh, like Judaism being like a nation. Because it's it's like you will only have like Jewish Jews or agnostic Jews or atheist Jews. There's no like you can't have a Christian Jew or a Buddhist Jew. Um, so th that um, you do so, have Buddhist Jews, by the way, and Christian Jews. Yeah. Well, so you, um, there's also a huge group Jews who believe in Jesus. I found that for Jesus. Well, well, for Jesus, is very questionable. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna come out with a controversial opinion. I don't think Jews for Jesus is any more, you know, different than other Jews. All they, well, they are different, but it's not like more ridiculous. Re religion is yeah, believing things that are that that are unfalsifiable, <laughs> unprovable. All Jews for Jesus believe is that that Jesus was the Messiah, and all other Jews think the Messiah is yet, yet to come. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I put them on an the name is the messianic Jews of Jews. Makes me laugh. Well, it's know, kind of like how Jews. people make fun of uh, Latter Day Saints or, or Mormons or whatever because it's like, oh, they believe you know Jesus came to America, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, is that really more ridiculous than other stuff in like the Bible? Like, I don't know. The I think that points to the nationhood of the Jewish people in the sense that, uh, well, and I think Ru you heard this with Rudy Adar that he talked about how you could how you can say what he called that uh, a Jew for Jesus is still a Jew, but there yeah. is a Jewish religion and a Jewish thought, and you can take it or you can leave it, but there is what's there is a traditional Jewish religion which belongs to that community. The same, hey, the Navajo have their own religion, and you don't have to choose that. 
But to say that, what do you call it, that, uh, that believing in Jesus or believing in Muhammad is a Jewish thought, it's not. I mean, from a from a from a perspective, from a religious perspective, does that make sense? Very interrupted, Rebecca, but I think this chart is a demonstration of how these religions developed. Because if you notice, we originally were talking about Hamas, now we're discussing Jews for Jesus and Mormonism. So I imagine when Semites have too much time on their hands, creative stuff like this happens. So. Let's start like an anti-Mormon movement. We can just be all anti-Mormon. Connect on that. I They were all like. People, people freaking hated them. There was like an extermination order against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they hated them. Yeah. Did, did, did you see the Book of Mormon play? That awesome play. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Mormon will bring peace to the Middle East too, guys. You know, maybe did, very nice people, though. Very, every Mormon I've met has been super nice. Very yeah. kind of people. A lot, a lot don't, of don't Mormons think that Jesus uh, was American? Jews are like Native Americans, that like you know, and they found some clay tablets and they ran away. And I don't know, so it's like extraordinary. It's nothing as extraordinary as any other like other religious texts. You know what I mean? Like it's just funny because it's just like a spinoff series on Christianity, but it's not like really. But that's like that's really like I mean like if you really look at it in the backdrop of all religions, it's not like nothing extraordinarily like uniquely weird about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, can I ask a question about, I think, Jason, you said uh, that Israel, like, has kind of, like, and Jews in general, it's kind of like an incohesive and abstract name, or you know? Um, and I feel like for Jews, uh, we see the same thing with Palestinian identity. Um, I think, in a sense, both nations, are going through an identity crisis. Um, but when I, for example, read about Palestinian identity, so I'm like, okay, uh, there's just so many different theories and none of them are united. And people are saying, you know, we're, they, they've originated from here, from the, um, uh, when they went okay. from Arabia under the Khalifus and All then right, from the so Kenas and then from this. So you're just like, no, well, let me, let me, let me unpack that. So look, Christ, Palestinian Christians, uh, like myself, right, uh, descend from ethnic Jews that followed the Messiah during the time of the revolution of 66. In the year 66, there was a big revolution and Rome got kicked out. Now, before the Romans were kicked out, there was a division among Jewish society. There was the high priest, there was the temple guard, and then there was the sort of peasant class that resented the noble class and saw the high priest as a Roman puppet that was corrupted, right? So you had many people that were ethnic Jews, like Jesus, going around and telling people, don't pay tax to the temple, they're just going to pay it to Rome, because there was the big golden eagle on the top of the temple at some point and this is this was the division within the society now year 34 happens jesus is crucified and now this time and and uh, and the sort of the the jews that are against the nobility are forming bandit like gangs on the outskirts of society and they become more militant up until the year 66 now uh, as they become more militant, they start assassinating any Jew that they considered to be a Roman collaborator. And when that wasn't working, they started assassinating Roman guards themselves. 
And so when they started assassinating Roman guards, the Roman governor at the time would summon the high priest and say, you find the Jew that killed this Roman guard or we're going to crucify 10 of your children in the morning or some sick, twisted stuff like that. And it pushed the high priest in a position where he ended up reaching out to these bandit gangs to be like, listen, we have our disagreements, but Rome has to go. We have we've been occupied for too long. We can't put up with this crap. So 66 happens. Then what happens is the temple is reestablished. The high priest is like, okay, everybody, time to pay tax to the temple. And then you had a whole group of people, ethnic Jews, that were like, no, we're not going to pay tax. Jesus came around and said the temple is within. We're just going to do that. And so the high priest is like, okay, all you that don't want to fall back in line to the status quo of Judaism, you're banished as Gentiles. And and uh, and so those group of peoples left and formed their own community and cultures, and these were the first Christians. Now Rome comes back in seven in the year seventy and destroys the temple and is going around destroying every anything remotely Jewish. And they get to these villages and they're like, "Hang on a second, who are you? You look Jewish, but you're not acting Jewish. What's up with you?" And those people were like, no, we're not Jewish. They hate us because we didn't fall back in line or something like that. We were, we're banned. We, we have our own little Jesus movement going on over here. And so the Romans were like, oh, okay, since they hate you, you guys were all right. But we're going to take a little look at your Jesus movement. You're going to make it real Roman friendly. You're going to pay tax to Caesar. You're going to make it anti-Jewish probably blame the Jews for the death of Jesus, not Pontius Pilate. You're going to paint him as like some saint that had a, 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 a dream. And I'm sure other Christians will probably disagree with me, but this is my own history of my demographic people. And the, those communities got to remain, and Rome eventually appropriated those stories into a religion. Well, so, what about the other period? Christians from. The Muslims came. Okay, yeah. Well, um, the land was under Christian control for very significant periods of its history. It was under the Byzantine Empire. It was yeah. under the British Empire. And yeah. um, during those periods of time, especially, I would imagine that there would have been a very significant number of conversions. Yes, other other Christians, other Christians started to came, but Pal Palestinian Christians, people like me from Al Damun or those that were in Nazareth, those were the same demographics of Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, those, the, yeah. well uh, how do you how do you know that your family didn't have Greek Christians who married into? It? I'm just wondering, like, how do you? Because as, as you mentioned, the point the majority of the was Greek Christians, Ashkenazi people know that their heritage. Uh, is Jewish, you know, it's no, it's it's no you guys more. Don't deep intermarry. You guys don't intermarry with other Christian communities within the within the, uh, within Israel and Palestine. You never. That's like a thing. Whether whether it's Maronite Lebanese Christians or Palestinian Christians, I mean, like the 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 culture was very Middle Eastern in the same way, in the sense that we would marry within each other's families, and you know that, that this was. This was the way of the old. This was even in my parents' generation, you know. So, so look, everyone is mixed in the end of the day in some way or another, you know. And but, but this, like, just as Ukrainian Jews have a deep historic connection to the land of Israel and everything like that. I mean, how have they been mixed? You know what I mean? Throughout Europe, everyone has been mixed. Yeah. So 
it, all of this is irrelevant. But what what I was trying to describe is like the 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 makeup of Palestinian society because you know some did come from the Arabian Peninsula during the Islamic conquest, and there was a famous truce between uh, Umar bin Khattab and the patriarch Sophronius in the year 637. You know, which allowed uh, for the Jews and the Christians to have ecclesiastical autonomy. They ran their own courts. They elected their own leaders. Uh, uh, you know, uh, com uh, compared to Christian Europe, which wiped out all the pagan culture that existed there. This was a very advanced way. This was a very multicultural, multi-ethnic society. There was a Sephardi. There was a strong Sephardi community there, living among Armenians, Kazians. In fact. It, during the time where, where where other Arabs were being gifted countries, like Jordanian is a, a made-up identity that, that was gifted identity, the country. Yeah. So was Syrian. So was the Lebanese. The only people that had was starting to form sons to, to develop a distinct sense of nationhood were ironically the people that were denied a nation, which 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 was us. Well, also, so, you as a Christian feel part. Do you resonate with the Palestinian? Identity, because the, the rhetoric, the rhetoric I heard way too many voices. I'm sorry, I said more. So, Palestinian Christians are more like I feel are uh, support the Palestinian national movement more than I feel like a lot of Palestinian Muslims do. Not only that, Faraj, but we created it. Well, I I learned that Christians were the first to um, advocate for the name Palestine as part of the Palestinian identity. They were kind of the forefathers of creating this identity uh, during a time of uh, nationalism elsewhere in the world. But yeah. I just, yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, before that, most people Islamic militant groups, identify with the Hadish, and then, yeah. hmm? it's most people, That is most true, Arabs, like Christians were at the forefront so we distinctly different from Khaliji Arabs. So Shami Arabs are like Lebanese, Syrian, Palestinian. Um, um, and so we, we, like like all nationalism, nationalism is a fairly new thing, like going back like 200 years. So at the, at the time of the Industrial Revolution, people are becoming more connected. Uh, the, the other Arab countries were becoming uh, uh, countries. Um, and uh, the the Palestinians were starting to become more aware that they were Palestinian. So the people in Beirut and Sidon, they got to fortify themselves as Lebanese. People in Aleppo, they got to fortify themselves as Syrians. People in Amman and Petra, they got to fortify themselves as Jordanians. But what was in common for the people that were living in Haifa all the way down to Beersheba, it was only in those cities that we ran the risk of becoming a minority in those cities, not the people in Beirut, not the people in Damascus. The Zionists wanted to rule on, uh, uh, wanted, wanted to uh, um, like specifically uh, go to this specific area, which we were. And so that, if only, uh, that only added to our sense of, okay, we got to become, we all share the same risk of being a minority in our own cities that we've lived in for centuries. We need to start being more cohesive and everything. And so we formed the higher, the Arab higher league or something. And there was also the Muslim and Christian Associations that were dominated. Every town and village had a Muslim Christian Association. The, the basis of being a Palestinian was, was being accepting of other people, like was being a multi-religious, multi-ethnic society, um, 
that was inclusive of everyone during a time where people weren't inclusive of people. And, and, and these are the fundamental values that uh, I believe that uh, Palestinians like Tarek and myself and Faraj and share. And I, I just want to point out, I don't know, Danny, you might find this interesting, but like, I'm pretty sure, I don't know Hezbollah has one, but I'm pretty sure Hamas has a Christian brigade within their ranks. And so does, uh, I don't know, Hezbollah. Hezbollah does have a Maronite brigade inside their, their ranks. So yeah, a lot of this stuff, but like, like, it doesn't like, make no sense in favor of what Muhammad's saying is true. Yeah, like no one, yeah, exactly. Like no one's looking at like, oh, like Islam and trying to like read hadith, like where can I find this hadith to make me justify what I'm doing to like, you know, no one's doing that. People like they just rally around the comments cause like, hey, well, most of us are Muslim, so I guess we can just join in together. Oh, we got Christian friends, they can come in too. Why not? They can have their own section. And that's pretty much what it was. It's not, it's not any way to try to justify saying, oh, okay, see, look how uh, diverse and inclusive like Hamas or Hezbollah is. But just to put in the perspective of like, how it actually like how Palestinians even see like these organizations. I mean, like also, I gotta say something the, though. I just want to say, yeah. oh, sorry, Josh, for cutting you off. But in regards to mor- minorities, have to be more in the Middle East, more nationalistic because they need a state to protect them. So if you look at it, minorities, especially in the latest chance like that, Christians are nearly always in urban areas, so they need a strong state. While many Islamic tribes actually depends which ones, but in, for example, like they benefit from a weak state. Because like mm-hmm. a weak state means not getting pushed around by the government. But if you're a minority, you want a state that can take care of you. Mm-hmm. So that's why you'll find, especially in Palestinian society, but even in Arab nationalism in Iraq and Syria, like it was led, um, or it was, I think it was uh, Michelle Aflat or Michelle Aflat, I think one of those two. Like as in, a, you, you find bad. minorities. Well, it also depends which state. The modern history of MENA, in fact, in the last century, does seem to have accelerated the process of oppression of minorities in the region of MENA. So it depends which minorities, which state. If you look at Baha'i or Zoroastrians in the modern-day Islamic Republic of Iran, that is a pretty strong state, and they are not in very good shape. It all depends whether your central yeah, that's an Islamic state. is on your that's side. An Islamic state. And it's an, an Islamic, Islamic state, state yeah. but it is a stronger government. And... Um, Saddam Hussein, I believe he also, um, that was um, Muslim-led, but not such an Islamic state, and he oppressed minorities. Um, Saddam oppressed minorities, but for example, if you towed the line with him, he wouldn't touch you. So if you shut up with politics and said, yes, I'm an Arab, whatever, he wouldn't touch you. If you, but if you did anything that went against him, you'd be put in prison. But I get what you're saying, because in the Middle East here, minorities need a strong state. Which, well, for example, you find I people mean, in Hebron do not want a strong state. Minorities need a state on their side. Like, um, yes. that's basically what they need. Not just a strong state, but a state that is their advocate. And um, so um, this is part of the argument for minority self-determination in the region, that um, because the region is very ethnically um, sorted in terms of the political the ideologies, um, self-determination is a model that is assumed to protect the ethnic group that has the self-determination. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, but I, it, I it, let's say, it would it wouldn't be it wouldn't be reasonable. Like for example, let's say with sexual Zoroastrianism, right? No one can deny that Zoroastrian Zoroastrianism was uh, uh, was in Persia or it was in Iran before Islam, yeah. right? So it would be like the Parsis that are currently in Gujarat, India, like who are Zoroastrian, 
being like, all right, we, you know, we want to have, we want to make Iran Zoroastrian again and impose our rule over the majority of the Muslims there. Is it reasonable to expect Iranians today to accept Zoroastrians coming back and imposing their rule in their country and making Iran into a, into a Zoroastrian country again? Would it be reasonable? Well, pre-1948, um, early in the part of the last century, people were not so much dividing um, the land um, in the way that we think of it today. Um, Israel and Jordan were lumped together as the same mandate. So the idea was a partition of the land. This was the original idea. It obviously hasn't worked and it's had real issues, but one of the original ideas was a partition of the land between yeah. Jewish Israel and Arab Transjordan. So an analogy We would still be, be the majority in what would be Israel. That's what Jason's getting at. Right. As in yeah. like, why would we accept the situation? An analogy might be a small area of Iran because Zoroastrians are a tiny part of the population. So if the Zoroastrians are making the case that they are being persecuted by Iran and their self-determination is crucial, a Zoroastrian regime in a small area of Iran, because they're a tiny minority, that would represent historical and cultural significance to Zoroastrianism. And then... But why should the Persians there, who are a mixture of the Zoroastrians and the Muslims, accept being dispersed from their land? As in, there's still there's still a Persians yeah, living there. I know you say... During, 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 what if they wanted Tehran? You know, what if they wanted Tehran since it was, like, you know, has a very significant... It's their Jerusalem, basically. And, you know, uh, you know that's where the Zoroaster did his great sermon or something like that. Like, it, that's the thing. Like, it's... it's I mean... It, there's no good way of trying to justify things like this happening. And so, like, the, the, the point is, like, the important thing is, like, to acknowledge it. But I, I just wanted to sidetrack one thing. Uh, there's, I, this comes up a lot, and I want to just say this on a recording because I feel like a lot of people just, like, keep, I, I keep on thinking being refuted. A lot of people say, like, oh, but, like, Arabs, like, some of these Palestinians, they have names like Al-Masri, which means the Egyptian, or Al-Suri, which means the Syrian, and stuff like that. Therefore, you guys are, listen... I live in America right now. If I go back to Ramallah right now, someone might call me Muhammad Farah Dilimriki, the American. Doesn't mean I'm related to George uh, Washington. You know what I mean? So it just uh, like you, you could go. Someone can go to visit Egypt for a second, come back, and be like, "Oh, that's the guy that went to Egypt. He's the Masri guy." You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so, right. like, and they're like Israelis. Sephardic, and their last name is Ashkenazi. Does this mean that they are Ashkenazi? No, they're probably as Sephardic as everyone else, but they are descendant of Ashkenazi that migrated into Syria, hence their last name is so-and-so, the Ashkenazi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Look at my name. Look at my name. Yeah. The comes from a conversation. The moon. Any, any, time where, any time where people are trying to delegitimize another group of people by pointing to their last name or where their parents or ancestors came from, we should just re reject those notions outright because they're just... They're not helpful. I don't care if you're indigenous. I don't care how many generations you've been on the land. If you live on a land currently, if you live in a home currently, you have connection to that place. It's immoral to displace you from that home. That's and right. you know that, that should be that, that should just be like a, a base moral understanding that that we don't Absolutely. break. So you know, let, let, let's start from from that place of mutual recognition that we don't displace 100%. people. We all have the right to be here. We just need to find a way to make it work with one another. Hundred percent. I, I just want to address to say, also the 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 partition that was uh, the, like. Let's say we accepted the partition, right? The thing is, 
if we accepted the partition, you would have one side, Palestine, that would have a Arab majority, but in the proposed Israel part of it, there would still be a, uh, an like a probably just a like a significant Arab minority there. It would probably have been a 50. So we, we would still, like the, the things, even if we had uh, accepted the partition, the numbers would have been, wouldn't have worked on that side of the land either because you would have a significant, like 40% uh, of, the, of the Knesset in the proposed state uh, being significantly Arab as well. So and in order to have a, a, a Jewish state, you need a distinct demographic Jewish majority. And so uh, that is why we need separate legislators so our demographics don't mess with each others and that we can that way and you can stay as a Jewish state and we can have our like a form of government that we can be represented in and have a passport and all that and will, and not fall under Israeli military rule. Um, and um, and, and and so I can understand why the plans, the partition plans, all fell apart. Plus, there were things going on in the background, radicals on both sides, adding fuel to the fire, you know, uh, whether it's calling to drive the Jews back into the sea or whether it's to transfer Palestinians to Jordan, you know. These are things that happen on both These are things that happen on both sides. And these are things that none of us in this uh, chat group uh, would condone. And I think that is a fantastic thing. And we should all give ourselves a pat on the back for coming together in this capacity and having this discussion. So. Yeah. Yes. Um, because also um, we are two demographic groups that have, despite our close geographical proximity, been very too isolated for too long. In a place like the United States, um, with the immigration of both of these groups into the country, we are starting to um, have more integration on a, um, on a more equitable third-party footing. And I do think that having a um, third-party footing um, and being able to try out alternative models um, is important because um, if the goal is, um, if the goal is, I won't even use the word peace, I'll say to build something good together, Mm -hmm. um, then we do need to tr try this out in, a, in multiple cultures, multiple environments. There is some of this as well going on in the land of Israel and in Palestine between, um, in places like the West Bank, um, between Jews and Israeli Arab in Israel. Um, and both of these types of grassroots efforts are important in each of the different parts of the world that we are in together. The internet as well, because we can break down barriers um, I can talk to people in Australia, and that's really nice. Hell yeah. And, um, and in Israel. And um, so it becomes its own territory, its own rules. Now, what those rules are, um, we do need to work on them. There is ground to be covered to define a proper set of mores for the internet, and one of the places that this is really suffering in is Twitter. So, um, for example, I have, so I maintain a forum that is dedicated to, um, in addition to the one about peace, I also have another forum 
dedicated to cleaning up social media. It's called Clean Up Twitter. And it's also on Quora.com. And, um, but basically there are a lot of issues we can work on together. There's a lot of ground to be covered. Uh, friends, real quick, we're, we're, we're closing in on the two hour mark. So I think let's do a round of final thoughts. Uh, it could be about anything that was discussed or something that wasn't discussed. Maybe it could be focused on uh, what, what steps we can take from here to, um, you know, to progress the peace process. And maybe also share your favorite food from the region, because I think that would be interesting to see how similar our, uh, our uh, preference for cuisine is. While, while you all think about that, um, friends who are joining us for the first time, subscribe. And how do those YouTubers say smash that like button? Smash it. But, but I also, I also um, urge people to downvote this if they don't like it, because it just... You know, we're all about freedom of expression, regardless of if you like what we do or not. We, we still like you and we like your expression. We also have a Patreon. Help us. You could, you could support us for as little as $1 a month. Help us put out more content. If anyone wants to be on a future episode like this, reach out to me. You'll see my, my info in the description. And please join our Discord. What you, saw, what you just witnessed here happens a few times a week on Discord, spontaneously. But at sure. the very least, every Thursday for the after party after our, our live stream. So um, here, let me toss that link in the comments. Boom, join our discord. And uh, yeah, let's start, let's start the, the, the little circle. I, I just want to know, I, I just want to note that Starhopper said one good thing about Arabs over here. I just want to think it's a really important um, point. He said Arabs do food well. Which is the first time I've ever heard anything. So yeah, I mean, I'll let that speak Starhopper. I hope you keep in the right direction, man. I'm really happy for your positive vibes, man. Starhopper, we love you behind. Yeah, quite a couple. Starhopper is almost an honorary Palestinian at this point. I remember Wait. Um, are we doing the round thing now? Yep. All right. All right. So, yeah, just, um, just, just final thoughts. Final thoughts on what food you like. Final thoughts is that we have to build a common narrative. I think anything separate, whether um, identity, politics, whatever, it's just going to divide us even more. Historically, like Jason said, and it resonated with me, we live together. And so um, I really hope we can do that in the future. And food. Um, I just love going to Jaffa and eating anything they give me. So let's go with hummus, but literally anything they'll give me there is amazing. Cool. So um, I think I, I do agree with Daniel. One, one thing I always stress to everyone, really, not just Palestinians, not just Israelis, not even Armenians, Azeris, Indians, Pakistanis, is, you know, try and look at history from a completely different viewpoint. Try and, you know, try and find the reasons behind things and why things have happened. And, you know, don't just take it that your side is completely right and the other side is completely wrong. There is no right or wrong. There's no evil or not. Um, I think that's one of the most important things. 
Uh, and as for food, uh, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hebronite, so I go for our special dish. It's called Idre. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's nothing special. It's just a lot of animal fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so are, we on a tur- are we going in uh, like a, rev- a turn? Go f- who, who knows? Whatever oh, sure. No, Jason, and then it's, I think it's your turn. Ayad just spoke, no? Okay. Yeah. So my final thoughts or my final thoughts um, and message to everybody listening is um, don't react to the radicals on the other side. Uh, look for the, those on the other side that want to coexist and find them, come together like we're doing now and outnumber the radicals on both sides. And let's uh, um, uh, start... Uh, normalizing, talking, and communicating, and understanding each other's narratives, and uh, not normalize the the current situation where we're, we're in. Because by doing one, we can change the other. And uh, I, I'm really happy and honored to be a part of this group. So, and my favorite food, oof, either knefi or batlawa. You're 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 a you got a sweet tooth, huh? Hell yeah! So you're from I'll, the north, that's why. Al Damon, you're a northerner, that's why. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So I'll have to start with my favorite food, and I just thought about a Middle Eastern. I just thought about this, and uh, a little bit underrated, but sahlab. Sahlab. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good. Sahlab. One. <laughs> you have to go to Damascus to try that. That stuff is the shit. It's super good over there. For you guys in English, it has a really unappealing name in English. It's Saloop, but I recommend you guys try it. It's amazing. I got, um, I got it. But um, so the message I'd like to deliver is that um, that the that reality of peace is no longer. We have to know the reality of peace is not is not going to be through separation. It's not going to be through one state here or these guys in one state. It's going to come together in, in unity. And I think something that really resonates with me is what President Ruben Rivlin said, that it's not we, the Jews and the Arabs aren't doomed to live together. We're destined to live together. And I think that's future is exploring a one-state solution, how we can make that happen, that works for everybody. And, um, and that the first step is not above by building the car first, but building the pieces, which is just the humanization of each side. And Amen. Well, actually, uh, just a quick thing with uh, Yeshua. Um, yeah, Reuven Reuven, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, even though he's a Likudnik, he's, he's kind of an underrated politician. So it's unfortunate he doesn't have more power. He does seem like a genuinely good guy. But, um, yeah, my thing is, look, uh, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me here. Uh, 2020 has been just the Anis Horribilis, which is a terrible year. I know it's already technically the next year on the Hebrew calendar. So let's just hope, though, but for the next uh, Gregorian year, uh, you just hope for peace and justice and, you know, good health. And, uh, you know, I'd say my favorite Middle Eastern food is, uh, I guess it's kind of out of left field, but I guess maybe like lamb gyro, which I know is a Turkish cuisine. And I know Jews and Arabs both sort of share a disdain of Turkey, so maybe, maybe we can come together over that. So, yeah. 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 Uh, do I go or does Rebecca go? Um. Rebecca, you can go ahead. Okay, sure. Hi, um, my name is Rebecca. My name is, and um, so closing thoughts, I think it is very important to um, keep having discussions and organically building communities like these. 
and like the one I maintain. And um, we don't know what we are going to build up together, but if we do spend time together um, with that kind of a focus, then um, we will then we will give it a chance to see. And so um, one thing that I find interesting actually is that um, in the United States, many of the Jews and many of the Palestinians are basically on the same side of US politics in a very divided country. Um, so we, um, we won, but not by such a large margin. And um, the hope is to be able to um, keep, keep the Republicans from seizing more power and more control over um, more branches of government and further um, make the government make the and further change the elections in their favor. Um, Biden won by a historic margin, but it only seemed like a narrow victory because of the way the system is set up. Um, so that's that's a very U.S. political angle centrist energy about Israel Palestine could really galvanize a number of forces around it, and be a first step in building up something larger. Favorite food. And, oh, favorite food. Um, I like lavna and I like baklava. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, I would just say whatever sort of, I think we definitely need more localism, 100% regardless of what happens. I still 100% support the Palestinian right to self-determination along with the right of return, but I just, the reality is it's going to be one state, I believe, like, you know, it's heading that way. And so whatever happens, understand the Israeli concerns. I hope one day they come around to understanding ours. I know the ones here seem to understand ours quite well. And so I hope that we can definitely have more localism. I, for example, while I love Jason, I love Yed, I love Baraj, maybe one day I'll love the rest of you guys. I don't know you that well. I love Adar. I love Adar. I know him quite well. Um, we all want to live in different ways. And so, for example, Hopefully in a future peaceful area, I will have my little area where all the men are forced to grow mustaches. In regards to my favorite food, I would say, oh, matlube, oh, mansef, one of those two. But Leo is okay, but it's leads, I don't know about Jews, but Palestinians are prone to be diabetics. So we have to be yeah. careful with that aspect. Yeah, my dad was diabetic. Well, that's besides the point. So like, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a really happy, for this conversation. I think it was really cool. It was really productive. We, it got a little tense at some points, but I feel like it was in the end, like pretty, you know, a nice uh, conversation. And like, we learned a lot. There's obviously much more to talk and we obviously not, aren't gonna agree on everything, but it's like everyone else said, it's an important part to have this sort of discussion. And so yeah, I'm looking forward to having a discussion like this again with everyone else and, you know, talking to everyone here. It was really a pleasure. And uh, yeah, in terms of, Food. Okay, um, I'm gonna name drop real quick. I my family has a restaurant in Williamsburg called Oasis. It's on Bedford uh, between Bedford and North Seven and North Eight, and so we make shawarma and falafel. It's really good stuff. I love shawarma. I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the, what we call tabi, like the rice dishes, so like makluba, kidra, and stuff like that. They're good. They have their own respectable place in Palestinian culture and cuisine. But I'm really, I just like, I just like the junk food, like the fast food, like falafel, hummus. Uh, oh, no, don't, don't forget like to. 
What? Don't forget to shout out strongman of Ramallah, Ahmad Minsi, the strongman of Ramallah. Don't forget to shout him out. Strongman of Ramallah, Ahmad Minsi, from Dhulukara. Not No one else beside him. And uh, yeah, uh, also in Ramallah, if you guys ever end up going to Ramallah, Mr. Baker uh, and uh, Bonjour are really two of the best Shurma places you'll find inside Ramallah. So if you ever get the chance to go there, you'll have fun. Amazing. Thank you all. I guess I'll share also a final thought. Um, the majority of the people, both Israelis and Palestinians, are quite cynical when it comes to the conflict. They're not hopeful that the conflict can be solved ever. And, and, and there's polling to back this up. It's very hard to motivate somebody to act, to make, to, to progress change, to progress peace when they don't believe they can have an impact. And this, I think, is one of the challenges in activism. We need as many activists as possible. And activist doesn't mean you need to go to a rally and protest. It could just mean reaching out to someone from the other side and getting to know them. So I want to put it out there that although attaining peace seems like one of the greatest challenges we can imagine. Every single individual has the ability to impact those around them. So I just, I just want to tell you all, whoever's watching this, you know, we do these conversations weekly, but you can get involved in this process. Reach out to a Palestinian, reach out to an Israeli on, on social media, message them, tell them you want to get to know them. That is one of the strongest and most impactful forms of activism you could ever imagine. We need millions of people doing this. Imagine if every Israeli had a Palestinian friend and every Palestinian had an Israeli friend. We would change the face of the conflict overnight. So this is something we should all strive to do. This is something we could even do from the comfort of our own homes. So I, I will leave it with that. When it comes to food, I guess I'll need to give a, a shout out to hummus. Just because it's so good, it's healthy and it's vegan. It just gets all, all the categories right. And, you know, just to put it out there, the way you know if the hummus is good or not, you could eat it with a fork and not even eat a pita. Or here we, we do like onion also. But if you could just eat it with a fork, then you know it's good. You can't do it with the store-bought crap you get in the United States. And even the store-bought hummus here you can't do, do that with. So hummus that you could eat with the fork, that's that's the good stuff. Hmm. Mm -hmm. anyways um we're, we're going to the discord the, the conversation will continue uh we, there's a link in the description once you go into discord you'll see on the left hand side it says lounge that's where the after party is you click the lounge you click once to connect the second time you click you'll see whoever else is there with you so click twice if you don't want to speak and you just want to type out questions you'll see right above the lounge there it says lounge text that's where you can either ask questions or contribute with writing instead of with voice. And this lasts anywhere from one hours to six hours. We, we go wild in the after party. So we'd love to see you all there with love friends. See you later. See you later.